You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is the principal! Actually, assistant head of school. Principal days are over. (laughs) Whatever, Paul, you and your titles. Hey, it's a step up, my friend. Paul LinkedIn Gilliary. LinkedIn, good Lord. He's got to get that updated. Yeah, there you go. Well, um... Paul, we've got, um, I, I say this is the, the, the four horsemen of, of the creators, I guess, <laughs> on this episode, part two, part deux, for all my Charlie Sheen fans. And um, before we get to uh, to our friends who are sitting waiting in the wings to discuss this week's exercise, thank you to all of you who come in week in, week out, new friends as well as old for listening to the show, for commenting, for leaving your reviews and feeding that algorithm, as Paul always says. And uh, anyone who's a patron, we appreciate you guys because you help us keep this thing rolling. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, so, Paul, we talked about um, a little bit last week uh, offline, Mm -hmm. kind of um, an article that I had read where um, someone had posited that, and something something that you said before, um, not in so many words, but they they said that they thought the most challenging or difficult record for for the average listener was Vitalogy. Well, uh, I, I and I think I think they say that because coming off of ten in verses, you had this um, it, everything wasn't so straightforward. There were interludes. Right. There was some weird stuff. Can you explain why you think people might think that, or might, might, maybe somebody would have written that article? Well, I mean, uh, there was a lot of tracks on Vitology at the time that folks labeled as filler, which, uh, in retrospect, I think was short-sighted. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot on this show about the merits of of every track on Vitology, and, and I've argued that literally every single bit of it, including the very last track, is essential to the the grand concept <laughs> at large. Which which one of our guests will pr- likely vehemently disagree with me on, but. I will say that uh, I do believe that that is it was a difficult listen when juxtaposed against the previous two albums. I think that ten and verses were in large part um, a natural organic process of growth that was in line with a certain kind of sound that had come to define the band. And there was I, I don't want to say it was a departure from that sound, but there was a further. Um, level of evolution within the band's songwriting process and the way that they create these compositions and and, and the soundscape was was really expanded and, and the bandwidth of of what they wanted to experiment with went and expanded with it. Now <clears throat> that said, I would argue that uh, No Code actually was a more challenging listen at the mm-hmm. time than yeah. than Vitology. I think Vitology is still regarded as as prime successful Pearl Jam. Uh, you really didn't see a lot of fans leaving, so to speak, the the it fan base. It helps so to speak. Better Man and Corduroy. Correct. Um, I, I wasn't really until No Code that you started to see 
people, I don't want to say en masse, but a larger contingency of, of Fairweather fans, if you will, mm-hmm. kind of stepping away from, from religiously following the band. Uh, I think since then, Riot Act is commonly regarded as the most challenging listen across the board. But for the most part, I think you're going to get a rather... Uh, how do I say this? K- kind of, kind of like a baseline consensus response in terms of, hey, what's the most challenging record? I think that by and large, most fans would probably come to a consensus uh, around the, the same two or three answers to what is the most challenging Pearl Jam. Listen, if you're looking at full records, uh, what I think is a more interesting exercise is to examine the catalog in its totality and ask. Ask yourself, what is a sequence of songs, anywhere from you know two or three to four songs in a row, that represent the most challenging listen? Because I think that opens up the possibilities a lot more. Um, I think we, we start incorporating a lot of albums that are generally beloved, but maybe there's just a stretch in there that's like, oh, you know what, that, that, that is a bit more challenging than I gave it credit for. Uh, yes. And when you posited that to me... I said, I like that idea. It opens things up much more. And I will tell you before we even get into this, that uh, I have, I think, five or six albums on my short list before we even As got opposed to, to what had been, I think, only one or two options. Right. right? And, so. and, it, and it's for different reasons than you might think, mm-hmm. um, which I think opens the scope up. So uh, to help us do this, we got a couple of friends here who've been on the show before. Uh, first and foremost- that, that might know a thing or two about Pearl Jam. Probably more than us. Uh, it's, <laughs> Likely uh, more than us. <laughs> live, well, not really live, but live to us from Reno, Nevada. Nevada? Nevada, I think it is. Nevada, Nevada. come on. Brandon. There's Delamo. that baritone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Kool-Aid guy just walked into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, that one's more, oh, yeah. Oh, were, you in, were you doing Duff Man? Duck, duck. Oh, wasn't that the Jason Alexander cartoon? No, Duff man, Duff, Duff man. man. Oh, Duff man. Oh, okay. Duff man Duff is facing the direction of the problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, his laugh has given him away, but uh, our returning champion, Stip. Yeah, I wish I had a, a voice to do, but I can't match uh, Brandon's bass. I could oh, do this yeah. whole thing in like a, a cookie monster, but I don't know that that's quite you, the same you are generally regarded stip as the preeminent voice of mountain dew so i think that you need to do nothing more <laughs> well today i'm uh, i was just saying before the the podcast started it was too late for caffeine uh <laughs> so i was just at hershey park and made my own they have the, this you can make your own reese's peanut butter cup that Ooh. when it's done is a pound and a half oh, so i've I've been very slowly working through that and will try very hard not to crash halfway through this episode (laughs) (laughs) or just go into some kind of diabetic shock. Mm. I think we should Stip should go first. I think Uh, (laughs) Stip is bad mouthing the sponsor Mars by proxy. Um, Reese's isn't Mars. No, I know. Oh, we know Hershey. Wait, no, Hershey isn't Mars. By proxy. proxy. Come on now. Stay with me here. Sorry, so I talk them candy and I, I get I all discombobulated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Well, now that we have the four of us all introduced, uh, let's see. Who should go first? Who should go first? Let's start with Brandon. Give me and, and you know, tell me how you got there. What is the most challenging stretch of songs, sequence of songs in the catalog to you? And why, of course. Well, when I uh, first started thinking about this, I looked at the catalog from the beginning and 
in the very beginning, we're introduced to a sort of pattern where they're going to end with a slow song that's kind of carried out throughout the, uh, the entire catalog. But uh, with 10, you have deep and then release. And on verses, you have leash and then indifference. You have something that's very sort of jarring that's that grabs your attention and then and then you go in for the landing it's like actually going in for a landing where you hit the runway and you have that 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 jolt before you start feeling the g's of the uh the (laughs) is that what the So if you're asleep and it's like, oh god, that way then that wakes you up. It's like we're gonna die. No, it's you just landed, you're fine. Um but then that it kind of changes later on in the catalog to where they put a little something weird there at the end. Uh instead, you know, you get soon forget them parting ways on binaural, uh push me, pull me, all those yesterdays yield. Uh, riot act arc and then all or none it is a little something sort of like here's um a a little uh, uh amuse bouche mm. before your uh dessert and you uh and you uh leave the restaurant there um with all that in mind um i had to go with the last couple of songs on Backspacer, Sleeping by Myself, Yellow Moon, and Future Days. That's Lightning Bolt, my friend. Oh, Lightning Bolt, you mean. Lightning yeah. Bolt. No. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, crap. I wrote it down wrong. Damn it. Lightning Bolt. Yes. Um, those three songs, listening to them over again, it's like, yeah, those are really good songs. You know, a lot of people don't go back to Lightning Bolt or Backspacer. Those albums, they have good stuff on them. They are very front-loaded. However, so, I mean, like back in the old days, back in the seventies and the sixties and stuff, when you had albums, they put, you know, all the rock and stuff on side a, and you have like the slower stuff on side B or something like that, where all you'd have to do is, you know, you got your favorite side, it plays through, you just start it over again. However, once you get to the eighties, you get CDs, you get cassettes that have the auto, uh, auto reverse on it an album as a whole work Mm. is a lot more feasible. And so I think that Pearl Jam kind of going back to a really front loaded album uh, uh, sequencing kind of, I don't know. It it, it doesn't have the same sort of voyage that a uh, live set list does where you have ebbs and flows. You have, peaks and valleys with um lightning bolt those three songs like i said by themselves are really good you know but taking them all together all in a row you know it's burgers fries and a shake and they're all good but they're just being thrown in a blender at this point where like nothing stands out like it should and it all just sort of blends together into a strange nutritional mush that you're just sort of like, ah, yeah, okay. That was the end of the album. And you're not really thinking about it. Like you would uh, another album where it has a weird track or a jarring rock track. And then you have the final uh, sort of slower piece to end everything with. I thought you were going to call those three songs like the, uh, 
like the carrots or the raw broccoli. Like, yeah, I like that, but sprinkle them into my food. Not don't have them. Amirapois. <laughs> sure, you and your French <laughs> words. What's what's the uh, what's the culinary school? The Dijon what, what's it called? Cordon Bleu. Bleu. <laughs> Dijon. Um, <laughs> so I, I go ahead, Jason. No, you go ahead, step. Well, I've. Assume that the reason I'm here this week is to defend Lightning Bolt and Backspacer, which I assumed was you, going you to are be everybody's a choice. Backspacer apologist. That, that's uh, not true. And so I'll call I, I'll call Brandon's choice into question here and double down by saying that I think that run of three songs is my favorite end to an album going as far back as probably verses for, for an actual three song sequence. And let me just, if I may uh, you know, say the reason why besides really loving all three of those, those songs, I think they're all sort of like you know, low key. I think Jeff in the lightning bolt press called yellow moon, a couch song, and they all do kind of have that late night couch song vibe. Mm-hmm. But A, I think it's thematically appropriate for the album that's maybe the most about aging in their their catalog. Um, but I also think that they they fit and flow really well. Sleeping by Myself is a great transition into the uh, you know slower, you know more dirgy Yellow Moon or or the Campfire, you know Future Days. It's coming off of the burst of energy you got from from Swallowed Whole from Let the Records Play. And it's one of those songs that manages to be both a slow song and like a jaunty, upbeat, you know, fast song at the the same time. It's such a delightful little number that it's it's a great little burst of energy going into the end. Yellow Moon is much is much darker, but it's such an important uh, part of closing out the thematic arc within Lightning Bolt. You know, wondering about. You know your own importance in the world, how much your life mattered, uh, some of the childlike imagery you know that's in it, which is sort of juxtaposed against the the sort of feel of mortality that runs through the the record, especially towards the end. And then future days and days, and I think Paul talked about this on one of your uh, recent episodes. I think it was Paul, perhaps it was you, Jason. Uh, you know, future days also really encapsulates quite a bit of the the message of. Of lightning bolt that in the end, you know, you find your your meaning and purpose in the loved ones that you surround yourself with and keep yourself safe, mm. uh, that that you keep safe and they keep you safe. And so those three songs really help tie lightning bolt together thematically. Besides, also just being, I think, all pretty solid songs in their own right. Well said. Mm. To, to, Go ahead. Paul. No, I mean, I, I think that lightning bolt is um, was a a polarizing album more so than I thought it would be when I first heard it. Uh, I would argue that, uh, I mean, I, I think that the, the last three songs to me are, are standouts. So I, I would agree with, with Stip on this one. However, I do think the prior two songs swallowed whole and let the records play continue to be difficult listens for me. And I, and I, I personally find them to be probably the two weakest tracks on the album. Um, if my father's son was anywhere near those two songs, I would I would probably <laughs> probably go with that sequence right there. Uh, I I would say that this sequence is is saved by uh, being uh, bookended with a pendulum and sleeping by myself. So, hmm, you know, I and I think for all the songs, there really isn't. Well, I shouldn't say isn't at all, but there there's mostly almost none. That doesn't make any sense. Mostly almost none. There's basically no songs that I dislike in the cat in the catalog. There's like like a couple that are like, eh, I could do without those. 
but I really don't skip anything anymore. Even the songs that I'm kind of mad, I don't, I don't really skip them because I, I like them as part of the art, part of the sure. thing. Um, so to Brandon's point, having that full piece of art and to what you're saying, step as to how those songs work, I like that. At the same time, thematically, how they work on Lightning Bolt doesn't overcome the fact that I think musically they're not as strong as the front half of that record to Brandon's point. So I feel both of you on this. I would err towards Brandon's side because I'm a music over lyrics guy. I would go the other um, way. I would argue as... that the, the backside of this album is stronger than the front side personally. M- minus those, the, yeah, the, those I, two I mean, tracks. I, I, I think from basically like infallible to future days is much stronger to, to me than getaway to infallible. Well, there's 12 songs. So infallible is not uh, fair. So fine. Pendulum. Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, getaway, mind your manners. Fi- my, my father's son is, is the low ball there, but getaway, I think is fun. Mind your manners. I've always really enjoyed sirens. C- c- has its moments. For it's me. a failed exercise. I think it's Jason, a good attempt. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> no, it's, it's good stuff. Sirens is great because it's a singular song. If they had multiple ti- multiple sirens on the album or across the records, it would wear thin. But I, I love it as an experiment. I think it achieves, you know, what, if it doesn't quite reach November rain levels. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that I, I know Paul doesn't care for it too much, but I really like Lightning Bolt, the song, a lot. And then Infallible, we we both agree, Paul and I, that um, especially Live, lives, yes. that Infallible is fantastic. So, Overproduced to me I, on the record, I, but I hear you. That's yeah. Fair. But, you know, some people could say that about a lot of the Gigaton songs. But anyway. um, Okay. So, so Brandon, you, you, you're you going with uh, the, the last three on Lightning Bolt, Sleeping By Myself, Yellow Moon, Future Days. Paul, let's go with you next then. Oh, boy. I think if you would have asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have. I, I didn't ask I, you. Yeah, no. and I would have probably, uh, I would have probably gone with uh, Mankind, I'm Open and Around the Bend. Uh, however, mm. I, I've since come to a door around the bend, and uh, I, I have a, a great affinity for I'm Open, as I expounded upon in our last episode, actually. Excellent. Uh, so I, I can't really go with that trifecta there. Um, I would love to say Push Me, Pull Me, All Those Yesterdays and Hummus, but that would be cheating because <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't go with that one. And, and also, I will admit that I do enjoy a Push Me, Pull Me. I am very tempted. To just end the album there and not listen to all those yesterdays, I, I do when I'm listening to the whole album. Let it play out, but it, it it's it, it's a challenge for me. Not gonna lie, not not a big fan of that number there. So I think for me, it kind of comes down to uh, really just a, a sequence of of three songs here. Um, the first one would be "Help Help Bush Leaguer and Half Full," which to to me as a sequence of songs, it, it's it's I've ugh, it was. It's a hard listen, admittedly, but I actually have come to enjoy Help Help and more than I thought I would in recent years. Bush Leaguer is still that there's a trigger finger I've got and it itches every time that thing plays because <laughs> I want to skip it. Uh, and I would say half full is is kind of half baked, if if I'm being honest with you. I feel it, it's a raw Jeff number that they just kind of cobbled together and they admitted that it was done that way. I was surprised that, that you know it got as much um promotion as it did with that record uh, so I, i'm leaning towards that one uh the only thing that comes close to me would be big wave or i'm sorry unemployable big wave and gone which i think as as a trio of songs is the definition of just meh 
just I, I don't think any one of those three tracks really stands out at all. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say that they're half baked, but uh, I, I don't find any of those three songs to have a um, a standout or defining quality that demands uh, re-listening to them. So, are they are they fully baked banana bread, but with walnuts? Yeah. <laughs> Because the wallets. Yeah, are my disgusting. wife. My Who wife does that. That's terrible. <laughs> it's gross. Awful. But she doesn't listen to this podcast. That's <laughs> so. Take that, Mrs. Stip. So, it, if if I have to, I would probably rather listen to uh, "Help Help," believe it or not, and and maybe have full more than I would listen to "Unemployable Big Wave" All right. and "Gone," which may sound weird, but no. I mean, listen. I get it. I, I let me pull that up again. Real quick. So you so you had sorry, not employable. Big and wave and gone. It? Big wave and gone. So I, mean, I feel like we talked about Big Wave a couple weeks ago on, on Lyric and mm-hmm. Live Cut. It's um yeah, it's one of those songs where they had like two riffs. And they're like, okay, we like these two little sections, and then we'll just tack on that little guy over there and jam out for two minutes. And all right, Eddie, what do you gotta talk about? Um, evolution. All right, cool. And, uh, and that was that. And I think it's, you know, it's a fun little number. It's not, it's nothing serious. It's nothing, uh, more, it's not, it's not as deep as he wishes it is, uh, or thinks the ocean is, or the, or the ocean is, is, um, and then gone. I love the premise, but we already have that with river mirror. Um, and then unemployable. I love how it's different. It tells a story. Love a good story from Ed. Uh, the outro is really cool. Scared alive which I love how he explained that on, on Letterman all those years ago. So I see what you're saying. And I think it's a contender for me, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree. It's, it's you not would mine. go with help, help Bush league or an asshole. I think, well, I'll get to mine later. Okay. Paul. I, I like that answer, Paul. Uh, that was on my short list as well. Um, mm-hmm. For the reasons that, that you said, I mean, gone, I, I really like. I mean, the the scared alive element of unemployable, as Jason mentioned, you know, is good. Uh, Big wave is maybe the most disposable of all of their disposable, uh, you know, late late album cooldown tracks. Perhaps just you know, like that or supersonic. Um, I th- I really like the chorus and gone, especially because I was so starved for that kind of moment after two records that didn't really have it. But in the context of the catalog, plenty of of instances of of gone soaring choruses since then you know it's lost quite a bit it's also a little bit of a thematic detour i mean the rest of um the self-titled record is 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 really either those you know grappling with you know like loss and you know that sort of military you know semi um you know rock opera feel to it and you know these songs that interject this this class element that don't really go anywhere and and feel a little heavy-handed in the context of the rest of the album. It's not just that the songs aren't as good; they feel a little disruptive of the overall flow of the record as well. And I'm not sure it ever quite recovers. The songs that follow that stretch, I think, are all better than those three songs, yeah. but they they've lost the just incredible momentum that the first half of the record has, and it's because of those three songs sequenced where they are. Yeah, I think it's another, uh, probably the first instance of the album just having a weak sequence to it. It is the, the, the first half, like I said, has, even though, you know, this record has 
to final in it. Uh, it's got a lot more energy. And in the end, you have some of the more experimental sort of kind of difficult tracks on it. I, I think that if they would have moved up um, inside job to like end the first half of the record and ended it with comeback, you might have some more of like the classic sort of um, sequencing from some of the earlier tracks. But I mean, that's another, you guys already did that episode of, of retracking uh, self-titled. Uh, well, you didn't Brandon, give us, give us your retracking. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me uh, try to find that. Uh, some, uh, let me get my, notes get my Foley work going on. Um, yeah, it's it's it it is those those three songs. I think if it was uh, seasoned throughout the album, could help it sort of like you're. It's not going to stand out as much like an unemployable sort of kind of like huh like following up uh, uh, in there in that spot. If that would have come a little bit earlier, you can kind of be like, oh, okay, yeah, like in between some some more standard tracks. So, so you like the choice, Brandon? Uh, no, yeah, it's yeah, no, no, it's good. it's good. It makes sense, yeah. All right. So Paul goes unemployable and uh, big wave and fucking no. yeah. What? That, that's how that's how yeah. difficult it is. I can't remember the damn song. Wow. Okay. Step. What is your choice for most difficult? Stretch? All right. Well, I am definitely in the same headspace that Paul is. If I can, you know, in just. Briefly, what my runners up were. I had that three song stretch on my short list. I also had Mankind, I'm Open and Around the Bend, and 15 minutes before the start of the record, that probably would have been my answer Ooh. in part. But then I went back and read the brief, which will, and those three songs feel like maybe the, the three least, uh, the least essential set of, of a three run song because no code can end with present tense, full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I like Around the Bend enough. I've really grown into that song over the years that as a three-run song, as even though I think Mankind and I'm Open are a little disposable, Around the Bend is very nice. Um, I also almost went with the start of Binaural. Um, I like Break or Fall enough, but I think God's Dice and Evacuation are pretty weak songs. You and- argued that Break or Fall should have been left off the record and should have been a B-side, did you not? Um but if but if it is but it, I but if I still like it well enough, there's B sides that I like. And look, this I gotta true. work. This I gotta work with the songs that are on the album. Also, uh, <laughs> fair point. And so, light and even light years. So this is now stretching out into four songs. Is good for what it is, but I've always kind of resented the choices that they've made. I mean, I've I've been a big booster of the puzzles and games demo, and I've always thought that light years is a little too obtuse and that it cuts away some of the emotional core of the the song but it's interesting enough and break or fall is good enough just to save it so i'm gonna go with the one that paul didn't commit to the riot act stretch but i'm actually going to stretch it out even further and i'm going to say riot act from green disease to the end the final third of the record oh um for for a couple of reasons riot act is a long album Besides it just being songs. 15 songs, it is the lowest energy of all Pearl Jam records. And it's not just that it's low energy, quiet songs. It's low energy in that it really feels like it's being suffocated by the the world around it. I mean, that's 
that's where thematically the album is. It's present in the music. All of that makes some of the better songs more powerful. Um, and why even uh, like ostensibly popular songs like maybe Crop Duster or Ghost feel as as heavy and weighted as they do. But by the time you're up to that final third of the the album, and at least I'm just exhausted. Um, you know, there's that final burst of energy after "I Am Mine," which is not where you can end the album, but it's such a, a climactic, cathartic moment. And it's immediately followed by "Thumbing My Way," which is maybe the most desolate song in the catalog, other than perhaps uh, "All or None." You know, "You Are" is mm. not a burst of energy. It is also like a very like moody, dour song. Get Right, I do think, is a lot of fun. Um, and I want to stand up for Get Right, which at least historically has not been beloved. So I'll start my my run after Get Right. So you have Green Disease, Help, Help, Bush Leaguer, Half Full, Arc, and All or None. The, the combination of not thinking any of these are particularly great songs, uh, arguably not adding anything essential to Riot Act at this point, some of them being, you know, out and out, difficult you know listens you know help help actually is pretty cool live but on the record you know just feels like it's a little lost in its own pretensions uh you know everybody is aware of the challenge of the bush leaguer half full stands out by being at the end of riot act and sort of trying to be that burst of energy it needs but i mean it, it does feel a little half-baked like a, a slightly retread dissident or red mosquito Arc always feels invasive to listen to for me, uh, as well as not being as beautiful as I would like it to be. Uh, and then by the time you get to All or None after all that, it's probably the best song in that run, but I'm just sort of ready for the Riot Act experience to be over. And what I don't need to get me through it <laughs> is another dark, lonely, like I've just about given up, you know, dirgy song. If it, if it came three, four songs earlier and Riot Act was quicker, it would be an amazing way to finish. But I've just experienced what All or None is kind of summarizing the uh, from listening to the prior five songs. So I would say that final six is my stretch. Step. Compelling argument. You, yeah, you, you kind of, in, in Paul earlier, uh, you kind of hit what I, what I was going to go with. and But you, you went a little bit further. I'm going to go get right through Bush Leaguer. So we have a lot of the same a lot of the same reasons why I'm not going to go to arc. I think it, I think it has. That's fair. I think it has a purpose. I, I, you could, you could group it in, but I'm going to keep it. I love all or none. It's not a hard listen for me at all. And to your point, I think it's a perfect album closer. And I think when we did the retracking forever ago, I'm pretty sure I chopped probably three or four songs off and made it the closer. Well, you, you skipped half, half full. Where do you land on that one? I love half. Oh, full. Okay. I know, I know that it's, that it's when you guys say it's half baked, I understand. I just don't know that I care so much because there's enough structure there and there's enough Mike Bluesy solo wailing that yeah. I'm cool because that's one of the best parts of Pearl Jam to me is Mike just just giving his entire being through the guitar and when Ed's a little bit sardonic. Mm -hmm. So that that takes enough yeah. boxes for me where it's challenging listen for me at all it's like eating it's like but raw get, cookie dough is not quite a full-fledged cookie but it's still pretty good you could do worse than eat a little bit out of a, a tube of raw cookie dough exactly exactly and so that's why i stuck with get, get right I, I went up to get right because i think um listen it hasn't been played in over 7200 days 
July 17th, 2003. So I like this song and I think it's easy to get into. It's simple, punky rocker. Um, even if I'm not really entirely sure what it's about, uh, it just doesn't offer much to the listener. I think, I, I think musically it's fine. Um, it's a fun guitar solo, but it's just, it's fine. Um, so you, you go from there to green disease. I think thematically it's still relevant, but the more I listen to this, like, I think the worse that it's aged. And it really relies on on Matt's beat, and otherwise it's kind of fairly pedestrian, um, almost like they've given up on the fight, I think, which is strange to say. It just makes me feel like they have all these years later listening to it, you know, 21 years later. I, I just look at their at their fight with with Ticketmaster. They pulled right up to the table with them. They've they've used them the last couple of years, even partnering with Ten Club Ticketing. And like, so when I hear that this song talking about fighting against the rich, it's like ugh, I don't know if I buy it anymore, man. And then you got to help help, which I've gone on record many times as saying I don't care for. I just I just don't like it. I think it's uninspiring. Um, I think the outro is decent. And to your point, step I think when it's played live, it's better. But for the most part. I feel like the guy, the guys seem like they're bored playing it on the mm-hmm. record. And then there's that line. This shit's too good to be true. That's, that's a terrible line. It's that's, it is so much better than that line. I think um, that is Jeff. So just to defend it. Sure. Okay. Although he still point. is one of us to sing it. Is, he still has to sing it. Uh, I just, I said, the, I said the line's awful. I didn't say fair it. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and then also, Ed's singing so much of the song in falsetto, which is not his strong suit. So there's just all these reasons why Hop Up doesn't work. And then we get the Bush Leaguer, which is, I, I think, for many people, very obviously just kind of, it's just tired. And there's a reason why they haven't played it since well, 2008. it's dated, too. Not least of which is the, the fact that, yeah, Bush isn't in, isn't in office and hasn't been. Um, but if there, it, there isn't a song more rooted in time than this one, for the most obvious reasons. And it's probably the least good spoken word song in the catalog as well he's mentioned push me pull me and mm-hmm. and i'm hoping like and paul did a great job of combining those two in, in our couplets episode a few weeks ago so like for me it's and i've had i, I will go over this in, in a few minutes but because i want to get your guys take on, on my on my choices here but there's other other challenging moments and we've mentioned a few of them but like this one for me takes the cake i don't know what so it's i mean i obviously i agree i mean and i understand not including get right i just have a, a soft spot for that song Part of the, and you hit on this with some of your comments on the lyrics, Riot Act, for despite being a very political album, is a vibe more than it is, and a feeling more than it is, you know, a, an argument or a statement in the way that self-titled is, or even like the political moments in Lightning Bolt or Gigaton are. Mm-hmm. And Green Disease, Help, Help, Bush Leaguer, try to give the album some specificity that it's A, way too late in the game to start infusing, yep. and B, is either um so obtuse or you know so trite as to not really add anything to the proceedings either uh you know there's not insightful social commentary really at the heart of any of those songs and that's what it's trying to add at that point it's too little too late yeah i mean i i would say that a song like bush leaguer it's not so much to me that it's dated, it's the execution of the song. And I say that because Taxman by the Beatles, I mean, listen to the stretch of lyrics. Don't ask me what I want it for, uh, Mr. Wilson. If you don't want to pay some more, uh, Mr. Heath, because I'm the Taxman. That song is still regarded as a classic Beatles song. And it it still demands re-listening, even if you know nothing about British political history. So 
I think it's it's the fact that it was executed and composed in this like it wasn't meant to be this like pseudo intellectual esoteric thing. There's a silliness to it, almost like the in the same way you get with um uh oh god, why is it evading me now? The ukulele song off by neural soon forget. Thank you, soon forget that there's a certain playful silliness to it. Uh, almost a juvenile quality to it. And I'm sure that was intentional, but I think it 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 compromises the song's sustainability. So I don't think it's so much that this song can't stand the test of time because it's so on the nose about Bush. Because I think Taxman, very successfully, is an example of a song that has survived the test of time despite being so directly targeted at two specific prime ministers. But more than anything else, I think this stretch, as you guys very, very well well communicated is it's disjointed and it seems to lack any lift to it. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you really are just spire. And I think this was the point of riot act. You're just spiraling and spiraling and spiraling until you hit rock bottom with all or none. So by design, I think it was sequenced this way, Mm -hmm. but, but to, to Stip's point and to what you guys have talked about, that's challenging, and that's the nature of the exercise, mm-hmm. right? That's the whole point of the exercise. So, because who wants to put a record on and, and go there? <laughs> well, it was this. You have Stip on to to to, to defend uh, backspace or lightning bolt, and uh, I guess I'm here to to defend Riot Act now. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, you know what? By definition, the the challenging aspect of it. Uh, rings true then, uh, I guess in that way, but this is post nine 11 and nobody wanted to be challenged. Nobody wanted to talk about awkward, uh, subjects like there being, there eventually being no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, this being, being in Afghanistan for, what ended up being 20 years and it being still a mess over there. It's, this is a very difficult time in our history and making a difficult album is just a reflection of that. And, and I think that, you know, you, you could say that, you know, it is not relevant now you know with 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 bush leaguer I, I think that part of his vocal delivery there is you, you know if he was screaming and shouting and jumping up and down it would have just been like a, a kid throwing a tantrum at bit at bush you know it's like oh it triggered the libs something like you know that um it's very methodical and he's talking and he's trying to like have a debate you know it is you know, saying you're going to uphold this man on this pedestal when he doesn't know what he's doing. He's shouldn't be here. You know, uh, the, the Christian right is going to, um, uh, lift him up, but there are things that reverberate through history. And I think that this is, an album that that is a beacon of you know riot act riot feel the emotion then act change things um 
it's it's uh it's it's the, the, those those end songs are all the the you know the the political aspect of this of this album and i think that you know it is sort of dad rock punk you know you're rich guys what do you have to complain about or something like that but it is sort of a we're all in this together and we're all going to get drugged down if we don't yeah. all see what's going on I mean, the the Rolling Stone review said that uh, they sound like Neil Young at his most deliberately despondent. Pearl Jam mm-hmm. sounds purposefully tired. Yeah, and that's I all of everything that you just said, Brandon. I think is is true and important. And I, I think you know, Paul, you just said this is what they wanted. You know, uh, binaural is another example of there being stretches that are difficult and are difficult by design. You know, quite a bit of that album, um, but. You can be successful in making your point, I think, and not have me want to celebrate your that success by listening to it. Like I think all of the choices are defensible. They make sense. Every now and then I'll put it on because I do want the full Riot Act experience. But being deliberately difficult is still difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, still challenging. And you can I, I you know, to to Brandon, to your point about why you would make a song like that in that time, why you would make the choices that you, that you're making. They made similar choices for different reasons with Vitalogy, but to a greater extent, no code, but it worked out because to Paul's point, the execution was just different slash better. Everyone put it. Um, and so I wonder if your point about those songs would be, would hit better or be, more appropriately received the way that they, I think they wanted it to be received. If maybe there were just less songs on the record. And so you still got the vibe, you still got the, um, the emotional hit, um, but you weren't dragged through the mud an extra 30 yards. Like you got the full experience and then you got off the ride. It's like, wow, that was powerful. I get it. But instead it's like, okay, I got it. Okay. I got it. Okay. I got, I got it. Like maybe, maybe that's what it is. Well, that, and I think, I, I mean, Vitology came out at the height of the compact disc era. So you had a lot of people that were completely fine skipping songs like Pry 2 and Bugs to yeah, get yeah. to Immortality and Corduroy and so on. You I also think, you got know. there. And that's the important thing too, is maybe other than All or None, there's like, so the back half of Binaural, I, I kept assuming like, oh, this is definitely where I'm going to go because I like Riot Act as a record more than Binaural. But every now and then like, oh, but there's Rival and that screws up my, like, oh, I can't find... This is not a three-run song because Rival is so great, or you know, Grievance was there. Like, there's not a whole lot you're pushing through. I, I at least I feel on that back half of Riot Act until maybe you get to All or None, and either I'll push skip, you know, I, or just jump to it on Spotify or make my own playlist for it, you know, to listen through to have to listen through to get to it. I also am not sure that All or None is enough of a draw to on your average day, your average riot act, listen, want to sit through the other five. Well, I'll tell you guys, and you guys listening out there, um, speaking of Spotify playlists, you can now listen to Paul and I's choices for retracking episodes by searching for our show on Spotify. And you'll find playlists of our, each individual uh, retrackings. And so we've, we've done an episode or uh, we've done an album a week for the last Three to four weeks. So uh, keep checking every uh, every week for a new and they, playlist. And you call me the master of segues. Look at that. Look at you. Look at that. I want to um, 
quickly mention a couple of things which I which nobody mentioned um, that I had in my short list just because I want to I want to get a very 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 quick um, thought from each of you on, on a couple of things here. Um, there were two stretches early on that musically no chance you're going to say are challenging, but from a thematic and emotional standpoint, could you withstand these? Uh, one could make an argument. I think I want to see if you agree with me or if I'm fucking crazy. One of those stretches is go animal daughter glorify G dissident. The other stretch is why go black Jeremy. As far as hitting you in the face and making you be completely exhausted emotionally, does that work for you on any level? Could anybody argue those two? I mean, that's the I think the case of wanting to put somebody through an emotional ringer and doing it right and just making it so compelling. Agree. That I was playing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I hear yeah. you. Like that. That's the those stretches are, of songs are why some of the ones that we spoke about here don't work because there's a way to do it like the uh, it, it's not despondency per se but the you know level of raw vulnerability and emotional you know weight and either of those stretches far outclipses anything that we talked about but it's so powerful and raw and immediate and artfully done you know like the the craft and the performance is all just so high that that's what you're signing up for like i'm listening to those songs because i want to feel that way yeah that's probably uh uh, something that somebody who is new to the band Mm. somebody younger like might a bristle at might you know think about mm-hmm. uh so if uh, you're a younger listener and you're uh, listening to the podcast right now make sure to uh, engage on social media leave a review uh, like subscribe feed the algorithm or the rhythm's gonna get you <laughs> doing our job for us no but you're right that's and that's that's one the second reason why i wanted to bring it up brand is because if you're the kind of person that comes in and we've had people on this show uh, I think from our Poland fan round table and just other listeners chiming in on social media saying, I got into the band in 2010 because I'm 22 and my dad got me into it when I was of an age that I could appreciate it. And it's not my fault that I got into it around lightning bolt or whatever. And if that's what you happen to listen to first, you know, like for, for example, I, I, I put on the new offspring record when it came out. And my kid still is obsessed with the, t- the title track, but the bad times roll. Good song, fun song. Obsessed. I'm like, hey, how about um, how about Smash or Ignition? And he's like, it's okay. <laughs> so I'm like, it depends when you get mm-hmm. in, you know. So if you love the band for what they did on Backspacer, and you go back and you get hit in the face musically and emotionally with. Why go black and Jeremy? Oh my God, she's in a mental institution because of her parents. Oh, I, I could see that being a really tough listen for somebody. No, I mean that's you. Know, there's the generational sensibilities are very different, and yeah, yeah. you know that is an interesting angle I hadn't thought about. That somebody you know who's fifteen with those sensibilities listening to this now, uh, you know, the songs about getting you know locked up and school shootings um daughter you know uh, animal learn you Jesus know like Christ. uh you know assault you know learn um not understanding somebody's like you know learning disability you know that's all gonna 
play much more intensely. It's not a sensibility I grew up with. And at this point, I've been living with these songs for 30 years. And so, you know, it's second nature at this point. That's a that's interesting to consider. Well, I want you all to consider that. Just throwing it out there. Uh, I would say, though, that I think we, uh, we've we come to a lovely uh, uh, menagerie of stretches. And, I, and I'm curious as to what everybody out there thinks now that they've fed the algorithm to Brandon's um, threats, I want to say. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let us know what you think. <laughs> let, let us know what your choices are. You know, what's, what's the most difficult, challenging stretch of songs for you in the catalog? Have we mentioned them already? Do you have another that we haven't mentioned? Please let us know. Um, and we'll be happy to continue the conversation as we always say, um, guys, thank you for coming on again and being part of the four horsemen of the creators. I, I just made that up today for some reason. I don't know. You can offer it as your next, your next t-shirt. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. I think Metallica yeah. might have something to do. At, at least two people that. will, yeah. at least two people will buy it. So oh, it'll definitely yeah. be worth the labor. Yes. Exactly. Well, you, I think you get a free one when you're part of it. All right. Well, then is well, then I got nothing for you. Stips like royalties, you bastard. Sounds like <laughs> got to get one for my kid, right? Yeah, gotta, hey, okay. There's, there put a pool in with that T-shirt. Beautiful, Brandon Palomo. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Stip. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Love having those guys on to discuss and debate, Paul. Always a delight and a treat, not just for our listeners, but for us. It is. And not unlike the massive treat that Stip is currently consuming, which sounds (laughs) disgusting, by the way. (laughs) All right, let's move on then to our Lyric of the Week. All right, this week's Lyric of the Week, going back to Gigaton, and we're going with 7 o'clock. Caught the butterfly, broke its wing, then put it on display. Was stripped of all its beauty once it could not fly high away. Oh, still alive like a passerby, overdosed on gamma rays. Another God's creation destined to be thrown away. All right, Paul. So this is one of the middle verses. I want to say verse three. There's a lot of verses. What do you make of this bad boy? I think it's a, a beautiful narrative that's being spun here. Um, caught the butterfly, broke its wing, then put it on display, stripped of all its beauty once it could not fly high away. Still alive like a passerby, overdosed on gamma. I was never a fan of that sequence there. Uh, still alive like a passerby, overdosed on gamma rays, another God's creation destined to be thrown away. Um, I do think, though, that there's something about... Uh, the presentation there of, of taking something beautiful and essentially stripping it of all of its organic, natural essence and exploiting it and essentially framing it um, for the purposes of study or voyeuristic enjoyment without any regard whatsoever for what it once was and the f- how fleeting its life, its beauty. And I shouldn't say its beauty, its existence was, because its beauty is essentially framed and captured in that regard. 
Um, but this this particular song here, I think, is is challenging for you based on its wordiness, and I, and I would say that a lot of people feel the same way that you do. I, I think that there was a time when it first came out that a lot of folks were saying how it was the best thing that they had ever done. Uh, I, I saw that in the commentary online quite a bit. So I, for, for a while, I was thinking, wow, like is this going to be one of those like polarizing classics where some people think it's this quintessential Pearl Jam song while others maybe have some difficulty with it. Um, you know, medium has an article about this song, uh, rockin' Romeo, I think is the writer 2020 said it was the wrote how the seven o'clock was Pearl Jam's best song since the Vitology era, which I thought was, was insane. It, <laughs> hey, it's, you know, we should have him on one of these days, huh? That would be hey, quite, quite, quite a conversation. Romeo? But I'll tell you what, it's only been played 14 times. And I would have thought when I first heard this album and the response to this song, that this would be a song that would be like a staple of the tour. And I thought it was notable that it was actually not a staple of the tour. It was at the beginning. It, it, okay, fair enough. It was at the beginning. And and I don't know, but it, it's interesting, like what happened? You know what I mean? Like why, why did it suddenly find its way kind of sporadically played after that? Um. I don't know. I, I feel like this this particular song here, you know, it just it talks about the give and take, the push and pull, so to speak. Um, you know, he had talked about uh, getting a message, if I recall. Correct me if I'm wrong. He had gotten a message from a friend that he heard, hadn't heard from in years or a long time, mm-hmm. if I recall. And um, it's just like this reflection of this this phone call and, and the conversation and so much profound thought that went into human nature this this expose so to speak um i think with with the chorus though there's there's and we'll talk about this when we get to the live version there is a very very awkward departure from the rest of the song um with those those synthesizers there yeah so i don't know much to be done much to be done i mean i think the whole point of this song is 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 just about holding on to the 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 um the motivation and the need to not give up the good fight and, and to, to mm. plow forward because there is much to be done you know and and i think that that that's a pervasive theme throughout the record you know it, it's this this ominous image on the cover of of these glaciers melting essentially and we have a number of songs that talk about the need to to continue to push forward because there's, there's never been a, a greater cause to humanity's survival than fighting back the damage that we continue to do to this planet. And so I think in many ways, this song, it, it, it talks about that, but it does a lot of talking, you know what I mean? And so I think that there's a lot of pretty imagery and there's a lot of interesting segments to the track, but I, I had a, a hard time resonating with, this particular set of lyrics. I, f- I think the next stanza, which talks about, and again, I know you can't stand this one. It's way too on the nose for you. And, and you, you didn't like the uh, crazy horse sitting bull sitting bullshit as our sitting president. I, I, it has a bit, a bit of a like Bush leaguer feel to it. It's exactly why. <laughs> right. It, it, exactly. I think that um, m- more than anything else, I think it, it's, it's before the chorus here, you know, freedom is as freedom does and freedom is a verb. They giveth and they taketh, and you fight to keep that what you've earned. 
We saw the destination, got so close before it turned, swim sideways from the undertow and do not be deterred. There's this, it's just, you know, sally forth and, and on we go and keep up the good fight, you know? And, and I feel like it's just a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of words that all seem to be saying the same thing. Um, so it, it's just a, a kind of like an inner monologue. You know what I mean? And what I like about the, the stanza you chose is it's the one section from the song that seems to depart from that. So I'm interested why you picked this particular set of lyrics, because it's the one stanza that seems to like go off that path for a minute. And it's this frozen moment. And then it, it gets right back on the train again. It's, it's the, it's the stanza I like the most because it's not to your, to your point, the song is a bit redundant and, you know, jamming in as many syllables as you can in a line and then doing it four times it's like the best part of the song is probably the outro. And I wish I got a little bit more of that action, but this section, um, while I like it the most, doesn't mean that it's amazing, it, but it, it it is in a sense, a good bit of imagery. And, and that's another reason why I like it. Um, but man, what a bleak fucking picture it is. Yeah. And it, the fact that it's just, it's so negative considering the greater context of the song. Um, it, it makes sense, but at least it's better imagery, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So um, I will say that I think it's one of the better descriptions of narcissism and exploitation uh, mm-hmm. in a while. This It, it has a lot of uh, do the evolution to it right well again yeah and that's that's why i i I gravitated toward this section because it gave me enough of what i like about this style of writing from ed within Mm -hmm. the song um and so to dive into what he's talking about here you know to have the gall to think you're better than another to you know to have the audacity and hubris to think that i can take something amazing and, and and break it and destroy it for what I want it to be to save it for myself and whoever I deem worthy to see it. I, ugh, it's disgusting. It, it, it's a similar argument some would make about about zoos, I guess. But although I guess animal conservationists would argue something quite different, which is fine. Mm. Um, but the people who do this, you know, that that, that they they plunder and destroy the natural world for oil or blood diamonds or cobalt or whatever it is, natural gas. They're ruining something great for their own self-interest, and it, it's gross. And and you've got these last two lines here, this this shell of what the butterfly once was, paralyzed in a sense. We are we are just so wasteful as a society. We take what we want, we fuck with it, and then we throw it away completely, ignoring what it was we just exploited. So, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where we use something uh, disposable. It's to to, to make something beautiful, expendable, even better to make something expendable and disposable that, that had beauty unto itself and, you know, a butterfly flying through the air and to rip its wings off. So it can't do the thing that makes it what it is. I love that imagery. Yeah. The problem is it's, it's within the context of everything else with the song. And even though I think it's a beautifully sickening concept that he's written here, (laughs) This is, it's a moment in the, in the, in the song that while it does, I think a a nice enough job of telling that part of the story, it doesn't go anywhere past that. You know, 
it doesn't expand on this moment. It, it, it takes something similar and then does stuff like freedom is a verb and sitting bullshit. And then the first verse is talking about how he woke up and it's narrative. It's like, okay, what is this? Is this narrative? Is this poetic? What is this? So as a well, whole, it's, it's a call to arms in a lot of ways, right? Or action, I should say. Well, yeah, the end is, which is great. Yeah. But like, it, it's, like I said, I've said, I've called it word salad so many times because not only is he trying to jam too many flavors into one, you know, stands at a time, but it's too many ideas. Like he was just so excited to express a feeling, but it came out with a multitude of ideas that don't flow to me. It was Did like, you get like a Springsteen vibe off this song. I think um, musically it has maybe like the, um, uh, the jaunt of one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that big open whole note guitar ringing chorus is something that Bruce might, might do. I just, I think, listen, Josh told us this was a number of jams Frankenstein together yeah. and it feels like that. When I talk about collaboration or when anybody talks about collaboration and a band collaborating and, you know, working on, a, on an album together or a song together, I don't think they mean it like this per se. Right. I think you, somebody has a great riff like, oh, I can build on that. Let's go with this. Great. This will swing perfectly with this. This felt like, hey, we all like this one section. Cool. And then five months goes by. Hey, this is a cool section. Maybe we should put it on the other thing. Does it work together? I don't know. That that I don't think they did that obviously, but it, it's a, mm. that's what it feels like. Reading through the lyrics and hearing the music shift from section to section. Right, right. So I hear you. No, it's it's uh it, it's a song that I th- and I think what I really struggle with are the synths. The synthesizers to me just do not work on the song at all. And uh, I love what's happening on a song like "Dance of the Clairvoyance." I feel like this is a song where. They just they stick out like a sore thumb and they pull me out of the song. Mm. You talked about the wordplay. I mean, for me, it was that sonic quality that just completely pulls me out of the song. It's it's I would I, you know that we'll, we'll talk more about it when we get to the live cut. But and listen, one day we'll do retrograde and we'll talk about how the synths are great in that song. Yeah, not so much here. Uh, maybe a contentious point. I'm sure you'll let us know if uh, you disagree, and that's fantastic. But for now. We're going to move on to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! All right, so live cut of 7 o'clock. Paul, you mentioned there's 14 options. Where are we going? We're going to Canada, man. Ottawa, in fact, September 3rd, 2022. Time for the 
repression is self-indulgent hesitance This fucked up situation calls for all hands, hands on day
to what? So they pretty much play this at every show. The first run they did the you know Asbury Park and the three Dana Point shows, mm-hmm. and they come back you know seven months later um, or eight months later, nine months later to do the the Gigaton tour, and they're playing it. I think pretty much every show, and then Matt gets COVID, and they I think they tried it one night, maybe both nights, uh, maybe In didn't cu- didn't quite come out the way they wanted yeah. it to. And then it barely featured the rest of the, like the last 30 shows of the tour, it barely featured. And I'm okay with that because when, when it, it only shows up with like six more times once they go overseas. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, Ottawa, I think they nail it. it. It sounds heavier. The synths are, are muted and subtle. So I think that they add like a nice um, kind of, uh, uh, how do I say this? It's not hollow, but it, there's a complementary quality to go. them where they, they seem to to accentuate the rest of the the instruments as opposed to being this this jammed in sound that just. You know, and I think some of the earlier mixings of this song in concert they really stand out a lot. And so, if you love the synths, you're probably not going to love Ottawa, but uh, it just they're they're in sync. I love the the atmospheric uh, soundscape that Matt. Or I'm sorry, Mike creates at the beginning of the song. You know, yeah. it kind of has that that cool "it's all right" feel to it. You know that they're doing a really nice job with that, and uh, I think Ed sounds great on it. They're all they're they're all in sync. They're all timed. I feel like a lot of the early shows were them kind of. It, it was this song finding its voice live, and I feel like they uh, they just kind of found it on this cut here. So. There were, and it's um, interesting because we we listen to the other ones and uh, the ones that follow it are not as strong. This is kind of like a, a needle in a haystack, almost. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we both thought Krakow was a was a nice second place, second yeah. choice there. I think this one, um, yeah, it just had a little bit more oomph to it. I think there is, I think Ed was so excited to sing all these new songs and those first run of shows, especially Dana Point and Asbury Park, where I think vocal delivery wise, you got something really cool from him on this song. Yeah. But the band hadn't quite gelled with it enough, and, and understandably so, um, to where the whole thing works together. And right. I think there were there were parts of later in the tour where they were, I think, or at least Ed was, maybe a little bit more tired when they got, maybe they played Evenflow or or something fast and, and, and vocally um, difficult to sing. And so some of the performances, just he he didn't have it as much as he did here in uh, in Ottawa. So I think it all kind of came together as best as it has uh, as any uh, other performance here in uh, Ontario, so the capital of Canada. Yeah, so um, I, and I, I'm a fan. I, I, it's funny, like with the song like Garden, it's clean. I don't, I'm not a fan when they distort that that sound. I, I miss that clean um, aura, you know, that atmosphere oh, that's on the album. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but with a song like Seven O'clock, for some reason, I, I like the distortion. I like the the messiness, the heaviness in the verse. I think that it works better that way yeah. as opposed to. It feels on more the like record. a rock song. It does, yeah, it does. And the I, I will I say the, the backing vocals on the outro there are are really nice, and they're Solid. elevated in the mix more, which yeah. I like. Solid. There you go. Um, that is the episode. We hope you appreciated and liked uh, this conversation with our friends Brandon and Stip. Uh, yeah, what is the most difficult, challenging stretch of songs in the catalog to you? What do you think of Seven O'clock? It's a little divisive. What, what's your favorite live version of this bad boy so all those questions love for you to answer them tell us what you think online and um, if you could go ahead and feed the algorithm there it is that helps other people find this fabulous show um, 
And of course, patrons, we love you very much. Thank you for helping us out and keeping this bad boy going. Uh, that's it. We will be back with you next week with another fabulous episode, I assure you. And until then, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.